Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode six of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fouser Consulting. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about where we've been. We'll do a little bit around Let's Talk Training. We'll review a fabulous book, The Observer by Todd Stottlemyre. We'll talk about what we've taken from the stores. And we'll wrap it all up. So let's get started. How are you doing today, Sam? Drew, just doing fantastic. It's been a crazy week. Stimulus checks, crazy sales. And if you remember from episode five, we're going to talk about accountability. That we are. So where have you been, Sam? Where have I been? Since our last episode, we talked about setting expectations. I had the opportunity to head back down to Illinois. Lance Vosberg and his team have just done a fantastic job of a ground up relocation. They built just a beautiful store. If you caught any of my posts last week, I posted a couple of pictures of that store. He's done a remarkable job of building the store. Now it's time to set forth on his next goal. And he wants to become the best performing store in the region. And to do that, he's got to start setting some more expectations in the store. So he asked me to come down and help him out with that. So that was great. Left Illinois and made my way up the west side of Lake Michigan into the upper peninsula of Michigan. Had two days with Adam Lambert's leaders. We talked all about performance coaching. So talked to Adam's guys for a couple of days. We talked all about setting expectations around training and becoming better performance coaching. But most importantly, I think what we really got to was finding the root cause of their performance gaps. I think far too many times we go into stores, we see something, and as you so wonderfully put it in your BYT system, that we put on our Superman cape and we just try to fix the problem that we see. And far too often, we're just putting Band-Aids on what are truly just the symptoms of the root cause of the problem. So we spent a lot of time talking with the supervisors about asking more questions and giving less answers so that they can find out what's truly going on and they can get to those root causes and make sure that they are solving the problems that are going to turn into long-term lasting solutions instead of Band-Aids that just fix today's issue. So that was a lot of fun. How about you, Drew? Where have you been? You know what, Sam? My, my travel's been pretty light here because it's uh, going to be heavy coming up. We'll talk about that at the end when we get on to what's your radar. Uh, so most of my time has been spent actually uh, building out learning hub curriculum, fixing and creating some coaching guides, setting up my fabulous clients down in Midland, Texas, Team Garrity with a system to, to onboard their team members that they're looking for. I call it a, it's 70-20-10. It's not something that I created. It's a learning and development industry standard where we do 70% hands-on 20% from peers. This would be like when you do like a ride along with somebody and then 10% of the time is actually in front of a computer or direct learning. And if you think about it over 20 hours, 10%, that's only two hours of actual like in front of a computer for somebody that starts. And that's a pretty good balance. So that's why I've been helping them create and deploy. And it's where I'll be in two weeks to be hands-on with them to get it out to their stores. That sounds like a lot of fun. So when you say you're creating curriculum for Learning Hub, let's spell that out a little bit better. Are you actually creating videos to put on Learning Hub? Or are you coming up with ways for Cassie and her team to utilize Learning Hub better? It's a 
combination. I have the ability to put stuff up onto Learning Hub. I don't want to because I'll be honest, there's so much stuff on Learning Hub. I don't want to add to that. So we're doing some custom work for for Cassie and her team around what their franchise is and how the new team members are part of that franchise. I think that's an important piece to be on Learning Hub. The rest of it, though, is instruction for the manager or the driver trainer or CSR trainer to help the new team member. So most of it revolves around the coaching guide in that 20% range or that 70% range of, hey, new team member, go do this. Yeah, I wanted to circle back to that 70-20-10 because with some of the clients that I've worked with in the past, I've seen that 70-20-10 thing in action. But unfortunately, I think I've seen it in action in exactly the wrong way. And that's where only getting 10% of follow-up, if any follow-up at all. And the 70% seems to be leaning more towards 80 or 90% of sitting team members in front of the computer. And, you know, as you so eloquently stated, there is a lot of great stuff on Learning Hub. And I think where we're running into problems, getting the execution that meets our expectations and creating those huge performance gaps is that a lot of our younger leaders, people that are just in the beginning of their journey, think that sitting somebody in front of a computer is going to make them a valuable employee. Well, it's amazing because the stuff on the computer, I like to call it the nitty gritty, right? It's the stuff that if you're teaching somebody how to do something, take food safety. I got to be honest, every once in a while, I'll forget what degree is what for a cabinet or a rail or a walk-in. Let the computer do that piece. Let the computer do that detail piece. And then you come in with, this is how you prep the product. This way they get the pieces that we can't screw up, what temperatures are supposed to be where. And we can come in with the hands-on of now do this. And it makes it so much better. If I can sidetrack for a second, when I was deploying HPYOU in the corporate stores years ago, I was in Salt Lake and I, I was talking with a GM and I do what I always do. And I'm asking this new team member how her learning was because the store was actually really good at HPU, had a really high completion rate. And the GM comes running over, puts her arm around the new team member and goes, I want you to know that this is the best employee I've ever hired because she went through the first three days of training in three hours. And I stopped for a second. I'm like, so just, just to be clear, you sat in front of a computer and went through all three days worth of training in three hours. And this new team member looked at me with eyes that were very close to deer in headlights and said, uh-huh. And that's why I realized what we had given them was broken to start. That that the expectation for the GM was, to your point, Sam, I can put them in front of the computer and leave them and let it babysit them. And then they, they will come back this awesome Dennis Tran fastest pizza maker. And that's not the way it works. So a lot of what I'm doing is trying to give the GMs the tools and the checklists and the procedures to understand exactly where the team member should be and when so that they're never in front of that computer more than 10 or 15 minutes before they got to go do something again. It just boggles my mind that we think that somebody's going to learn how to do a physical skill. And let's be honest, gang, when you're in your store, there's just a ton of physical skills that you need to know how to do. You need to know how to form that edge. You need to know how to stretch that pizza. You need to know how to put sauce on the pizza and get three swirls and get your three quarter of an inch sauce border on your hand tossed pizza. And you can't do that unless you do that. And you're never going to have the opportunity to practice when you're sitting in front of a computer. So, you know, Drew, to your point of that 70-20-10, that's just amazing. Let's hope that Cassie and her team stick to that and they see just fantastic results and get some return on that investment. They will. This is one of those fabulous vision investments, right? 
they know that the results aren't going to come the day after I'm there or the week after I'm there. So as we keep doing podcast episodes, I should be able to give updates on how they're doing and uh, where they're at. That'd be great. I look forward to hearing those. Let's talk training today, Sam. I understand you want to talk about the team, the team, the team. You know, I do. You know, being from Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan in my backyard, a little football coach back in the day that stressed the team, the team, the team. You know, I think we all are looking for better results. We're all looking for ways to close the gap in our performance gaps that we have. And to me, stronger teams are built on what we talked about in episode number five, and that's setting full-fledged expectations. The growth, the development, and certainly importantly, the success will be based on your ability as a leader to hold the team accountable. Drew, what does accountability mean to you? For me, Sam, it's about actually holding the team able. I look at accountability that the only person I can hold accountable is myself. So I want to make sure that the team I have and the past they're responsible for, that they have the ability to do it. All I can do is is follow up with them and ask if they've done it, but it's up to them to hold themselves accountable, just like it's up to me to hold myself accountable. I got to admit, I cringe every time I was in the building and I would hear someone of a higher status of me say, just hold your team accountable. And it would just make me twitch because I can hold me accountable. I need to make sure that my team has full-fledged expectations and then is able to actually accomplish those roles and responsibilities that they're assigned. So when we talk about that ability to hold them able, I think one of our responsibilities as leaders, as trainers, as developers of great teams is the only way that they're going to be able to accomplish their tasks is if we give them the skills, the knowledge, and the resources they need to meet our expectations. And I think a lot of the time, we don't do a good job of giving them the resources they need And when I say resources, I'm not talking about having enough hot bags to deliver hot pizzas or having enough ovens to get the oven capacity you need. I'm talking about that 70% that Drew is just talking about and making sure that you're side by side and developing them and developing their skills. Because that's, to me, that's where it's at. How can we possibly hold a team member accountable to giving great customer service if they don't even know what three steps to wowing the concern is because we haven't taught them or we haven't spent time doing role plays with them. That falls on us. And I think if you want to grow a great team, you've got to start looking in the mirror and decide, are you truly holding yourself accountable giving your teams the skills, knowledge, and resources they need so that you can truly hold them able to meet your expectations. In the training world, it's it's knowledge, skills, and abilities or knowledge, skills, and attitude, depending on which one you go to. It's all the same bucket, right? That resources piece. Can we riff on the wow of concern for a second? I love to use this as an example because almost everyone can give me the three components. And yet we will go and lock down those components. Apologize, give them what they want, give them something extra. Cool. Except your team members can say that to you and they're locked out of giving them that free thing now. And they're locked out of giving them something extra and they have to go to you. You, by doing that lockdown, you're telling them, A, you don't trust them to make the correct decision. B, you're telling them that they're going to use it for bad. And C, you're making your life more difficult by not allowing them the chance to succeed or fail. One time when they have one bad order and it's one pizza and they give five for free, talk to them. 
The customer is super happy. Talk to your team. Give them the opportunity to actually do the task you're asking them to do, not just regurgitate the three things. It's no different than competing priorities. I have client after client that that has a service goal and then has a food goal and then tells me they want to run faster service, but they don't want to go all in on DSS because then it would mess up their food. Well, which one's more important? I'm just guessing, just guessing, Sam, that if my top line grew an extra 10% and my labor reduced by 2% on top of that, a quarter point increase on my food is a trade-off any business would make. And yet we're forcing our management staff to not make that trade-off because we're restricting what they can do. You're not possibly suggesting that we should be doing some big picture thinking instead of small detail oriented thinking, are you? It is completely that to the point where I might have in my head a wireframe for like a seven part blog going from vision all the way down to responsibilities because it's all tied together. And if your team can tell you how to make a great pizza, but nobody grades them, if your team can tell you the three parts to wowing a concern, but you've got them locked out, we've really got to think about what we're asking people to do and what we're asking ourselves to do and what we can actually give them as real responsibility as opposed to faux responsibility. Yeah. So let's see see if we can circle this riff back into talking about what we're talking about on today's episode. And that is holding people accountable or holding them able as it were. So if your expectation is to wow the concern in three easy steps, but you're not giving them the resources to actually do that, then you're not holding yourself accountable and you're absolutely not allowing them to be able. And so when they do something that they've been taught to do, but it doesn't meet what you wanted them to do, you created that. That is 100% accurate. We have got to make sure we're looking in the mirror and we are role modeling the desired behaviors. And when people make a decision, we heard Anthony on an episode in past say, I want leaders that are going to make decisions. And I know that they're going to make the wrong decision sometime. We're going to follow up and talk about what was your process to make that decision. And then we're going to deal with the consequences. But what we're not going to do is say, I want you to make a decision. But when you make the wrong one, I'm going to jump on you with both feet. No, you can't do that. If you're going to empower your team to wow the concern in three easy steps, then you probably ought to be there when they're actually giving them something extra so that when they get off the phone, you can acknowledge what they just did with either that was perfect or it could have been a little bit more, believe it or not, or probably went a little bit too far. That customer is happy and I'm happy with that. And I'm really happy that you made the decision. Now, here's what we'll do next time. And it's coaching, 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 coaching. And this, I I know we're using the wow as the example, but this could be, oh my gosh, labor schedule and having a process around building a good schedule and executing that schedule. And who's following up on that process? Is there even a process? I mean, it's, it's about everything in your stores. What do you expect? What have you given them the ability to do? And when do they get that feedback? Because if any of those three parts are missing, you don't have a process or a system. You have that slave to the grind, right? It's do what you're told until I yell at you to do something different. And it's just a maddening thing to see. And I don't want any of our listeners to get caught in that trap of assigning a task, but not allowing their team to be able to do it. You know what that trap's going to lead to, gang? And some of you are living this right now. Is that trap is going to lead to you assigning a task and then your team member doing it until they get yelled at. 
And then once they get yelled at once too many times, they're going to go looking for a new employer, which is going to leave you short staffed, which is going to leave you in a position where you can't deliver great Domino's Pizza experiences to all of your customers. Or you tell your team to do something, they do it incorrectly. You decide it's not worth telling anyone else how to do it. So you just do it on your own. You double your hours. Your team is miserable because they feel unwanted, unneeded, and you end up in the same place where congratulations, they leave because you haven't allowed them to actually help. Or they leave because you're miserable. (laughs) You're working twice as much as you should and nobody wants to be around you anymore. All right, let's let's wrap this up. Any uh, last thoughts on holding people responsible versus accountable, holding them able? Any last things you want to tell the listeners, Drew? I just want to be clear. Responsible is the doing the actual task. The party responsible is the party that's got to do it. The driver delivering the pizza, the pizza maker stretching it. The accountable party is the party that gets talked to about it. Your general manager is technically not responsible for every delivery. They're accountable for every team member doing their job. So just think about where where those responsibilities are, who's responsible for what, and then are they actually able to do their job? I think that's really great stuff. I think that leads us right into a great time to take a short break. Let's hear from one of our sponsors. Better than yesterday, consulting. Do you have opportunities that seem to always be opportunities? Day in and day out, week in and week out. Whether it's supervisors that work long hours for little tangible results, or leaders who are not motivated to the same goals that you have. At Better Than Yesterday Consulting, we offer solutions to your opportunities. Check out our suite of online supervisor courses, our in-person, in-store classes, or even our on-site consulting. We help and support you through your solutions. For more information, visit trainwithbty.com That's trainwithbty.com or call Drew Helmholtz at 734-845-8147. Thanks to our wonderful sponsors. Now is the time in our podcast that we're going to take a look at our book. Books, books, all the books I'll need, all the books, all the books I'll ever want. All right, Drew, this week we're doing The Observer by Todd Stottlemyre. As you so nicely put in episode five, Todd's father was a pitcher with the New York Yankees, which kind of resonated with your heart and maybe the reason you chose the book. Let's jump into the review. How'd you like it? I really like this book. I got to admit, so when I was looking online, it wasn't the Todd Stottlemyre Yankee connection that drew me to this. Uh, It was completely selfish. I need points for my certification. This book was published after my certification and it fits. So I get some points towards recertification of my CPTP. As I get into the book, it's a fable. The full title is a modern fable on mastering your thoughts and emotions. And Sam, you and I have talked how we like fables. We do like fables. And they're just so much easier to read. There's a story that sucks you in. We talked as we were both delving into the book. We had similar first impressions of the book. We were maybe a quarter of the way through. And Todd does a great job of setting up the characters and introducing us to the characters. He does a great job of introducing us to what we know is going to happen. And we both thought it took just a little bit too long to get there. 
until we got to the end of the book. We realized he had done a stellar job of writing the book. So for me, being a very challenged reader, to say the least, I found this book to be quite the page turner. In the moment, I'm a quarter of the way through and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I get it. I get the setup. I see Cat has to fall so that we learn all the things we're supposed to learn. I get it. Can you get there faster? But no, it's totally worth it at the end. It's 200 pages. It's a great read, actually. The only issue I have with the entire book is if you look at the stuff, other stuff we've read, Energy Bus or Who Moved My Cheese, they go through the fable and then they pull everything together at the end to give it to you bit by bit. And Todd doesn't do that in this book. It's actually brilliant on his part. There's no way to cheat this book. You've got to read it from front to back to get every process and every system and every bit of good out of this book. I think that's what I'd really like to let the listeners know. If you're going to pick up a copy of this book and you're going to read it, make sure that you're either post it, flagging it throughout the way, or you're taking some notes because exactly what Drew said, there's a summary at the end where he mentions all of these great skills and tactics to become the observer, but he doesn't go into great detail in that summary. It's actually part of the fable where, where Kat and, and her best friend Vic are talking at the end and they're kind of ra- they're, they're kind of wrapping it all up in a nice bow for you. But what they're not doing, yes. if you're reading it as a self-help book, which I think is kind of how I would label it. It's what it is. Yep, exactly. Yeah, he wants you to read the book twice. <laughs> <laughs> he does. It was kind of subtle in the beginning when he started mentioning some of the processes and systems because he wouldn't go into any detail. Right. Oh, oh, that's right. Dad mentioned the championship hour or I do this because of the LGST. LSGT. Now, there's a couple of times where he gets into the, the wheel of life and the eight principles of wealth where he lays it all out. But oh my gosh, it most of the time, it's just really subtle. So yeah, this is absolutely a book where I'm going to go back through a second time and pull out all of the processes and systems because it's there's really good stuff in here. Now that you said that he's just kind of subtly putting in these points that he wants us to get, man, the light just turned on for me. That's why it was a page turner for me. I was reading a story. I wasn't reading a self-help book. I wasn't reading a business book. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be a strong leader. I'm going to be a better developer of people. I'm going to be a better consultant because of reading this book. I'm going to want to go back and read it again to pick up on the subtleties. I thought the book was just super well-written. For me, it's one of the first books in a long, long time that I couldn't wait to get back to and start reading again. Some of the other ones were a struggle to get to the end, but this one wasn't for me at all. Two points for the listeners. You know, Drew already mentioned the LSGT. That's something that gets mentioned four or five times in the book. Make sure you pay attention to that the first time it comes around. It's strong, powerful stuff. And then he gets into the nine steps in his system for life. And I'm going to touch on number three because it touches on something that Drew does a remarkable job of talking about in his Better Than Yesterday system when he's talking to supervisors. And that's when you've got goals. You've got to understand what the why is. Number three, what is the why? Why is it your goal? Why is it driving you? And when Drew talks about goals that are hard, H is heartfelt. And to me, the H and the heartfelt is all around the why in the nine-step system for life that Todd so eloquently points out in the book. So those are the two things that really struck a chord for me. Anything in particular that that hit you, Drew? I agree with the LSGT. For me, it was the the circle of life or the wheel of life that self-assessment and going through and assessing where you're at, whether it's financially or with friends, family, spiritually, 
it was maybe four pages and it's like literally one of the few places where he really spells out a process or system. And that assessment piece for me was, was opening one, because I'm making fun of cat as she's doing, because I'm like, it's a 10 scale and there's no way you're a six after here. You know, come on, you're not a six, right? Like everything is, you're that dog meme with everything on fire around you. It's, you're not a six out of 10. Right. <laughs> and yet when I started to look at myself for that, I know I wasn't a six out of 10 on some of those. It was nice and eye opening. That was eye opening. Drew, is this book propping up the table? Is it collecting dust? Is it on your nightstand or is it in your backpack? You know, I got to admit, this is a really weird one for me because it's one, I'm going to give this book to my kids because there's stuff in here for my kids that I think would be huge for them at the point they're at in their life. However, I've got to go back through it to pull out those systems because I'm just like that. It's great. It's part of the fable, but now I need to pull it out and kind of make it my own. So I don't know where this one's going right now. It's like the answer I want to give you is it's going on my desk because I actually need to schedule like two or three hours and go through each piece of the process and systems that he laid out so I can pull what I need and what will work for me. It's going on my desk because I need to work on this more. I think on my desk is good because I want to take some of these lessons and integrate them into some of the workshops that I'm doing. So I think one of the things we're going to do after this episode is we're going to rework our grading system and come up with a way that everything doesn't end up in our backpack because my backpack is getting darn heavy and we've got to come up with something better. But in the interim, I'm going to go with you and mine's going to be on the desk as well. I think that's great. I think what I'm hearing from you and I know I'm hearing from myself is, gang, this is a book you definitely want to jump on Amazon. There's going to be a link right under wherever you saw this podcast on Facebook that will lead you to a place where, believe it or not, a couple of pennies will come to Drew or I and it won't cost you any more. So you can help support the cause, which we truly appreciate. You're going to get a great book. It's a real easy read. I think it's a very entertaining read. And most importantly, you're going to get something out of it that's going to help you become a better leader. So that's The Observer by Todd Stottlemyer. Hi, this is Sam. And this is Drew from Drew and Sam Talk Training. Are you a trainer? Do you want to connect better with your learners? Then mark your calendars now. May 10th through May 13th, Drew and Sam will deliver the T3 experience. This workshop will give you the skills, knowledge, and confidence to deliver higher impact training to your teams. At its core, this workshop is a presentation skills must have for any trainer. You'll have the opportunity to stand and deliver three separate times and receive honest, critical, and supportive feedback. Check out the website at FouserConsult.com or email me at Sam at FouserConsulting.net or check out my website at TrainWithBTY.com or email me at Drew at TrainWithBTY.com. The T3 experience designed to bring out your best. And we're back. Drew, guess what time it is. I'm guessing it's time for our favorite segment, Sam. You got that right. Let's, uh, let's hear what Liam's got to say. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Yes, it's time for Taken. We're going to share with you some things that we've taken out of the stores that we've been in. Drew has been in Dexter a lot. So I imagine he's going to go into his memory banks to get some stuff that he's taken from stores. Because believe it or not, we've both been in a store or two over our combined six decades of Domino's Pizza life. So my Taken is based on, believe it or not, staffing. I know we've talked about staffing a lot and our clients talk about staffing a lot. My taken from the store is taking the day part sales by hour by delivery 
and using that to either validate your schedule or to help you create a schedule. I know there are tools coming down the line that'll help with this, but I love that day part sales by hour because it tells me how many deliveries I made. It tells me how many singles I did. It tells me what my load was, what my average at the door time was, and it helps me determine what my actual staffing goal is. And the reason I like this is because generally when we look at a client and we say, especially in a store and I look at a GM and I go, how many people do you need? My best example is I actually heard a GM look at me and go, I need 14 more drivers. And I'm like, oh my God, 14 drivers. And we did the math and we followed out the process using the day part report. And it was three. 14 is an insurmountable number. And I would be laying in the corner just crying, but three, I can do three. I can find three drivers in the next month. Now, does that mean in a month from now, it might still be one or two because sales grow when you increase your sales? Sure. But that's that's my take in using day part sales by hour to help you build and execute that schedule. And then find out exactly how many people you really need instead of just POAing a number. Oh, and that's and that's most of what we do is just grabbing a number out of thin air. And it's usually such an outrageous number, we can't achieve it. So therefore we don't do anything about it because that's the way the human mind works. That's a great take in. For me, you know, I was in Centralia, Illinois again, and I just cannot believe how much pizza this store is selling in a town that has 11,000 people. You know, my take in is prep, 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 and then do some more prep so that you can make sure that you're prepped. Somebody once told me that to them, the definition of prep was doing everything that you could while you weren't making pizzas so that when you had to make pizzas, the only thing you had to do was make pizzas. These guys are just prepping like crazy so that they can handle some pretty significant hours. It's just a real reminder for me over this last week how important prep can be. It sounds like one of the silliest, easiest, most basic things. I think that as leaders, as we continue to get piled on with more and more initiatives and more and more cool stuff, that sometimes we take our eye off of the the most basic of things. And that's getting that prep work done. You know what, Sam? I'm feeling generous. I have in my possession a fabulous prep report that can be individualized by store for your own product mix based on your own sales. If you're listening to this and you're like, wow, Sam says prep and I don't know how much to prep or you just took over a store and you don't know how much to prep. Shoot me an email, drew at trainwithbty.com and I will give you the fabulous prep report for free. That's awesome, Drew. That is the gift that keeps on giving with Better Than Yesterday Consulting, a little tool there to help you get through that prep work. Thanks for uh, offering that up for the listeners, man. Hey, my pleasure, Sam. Thanks for talking about prep because I love prep. Prep's awesome. Speaking of prep, I think Taken is over. Let's get into our interview. And this week, it's with Cassie Garrity. Welcome to Drew and Sam Talk Training. Today, we've got a great guest all the way from Midland, Texas, and that is franchisee Cassie Garrity. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today, Cassie? Fantabulous. That's awesome. I love fantabulous. That's a great word. Cassie, for our listeners that don't know of you, could you tell a little bit about your story? Well, my story is I started in 1995. I was a senior in high school and I started as a delivery driver. And about six months in, I was promoted to associate manager. 
in which I very quickly from February of 96 to July of 96 became the general manager of a store, graduated high school, became married, pregnant, and got my first store all at the same time. Yay, 18. I'm so smart. Very challenging, but I stuck with it. I mean, seriously, I um, that's I always say that because it wasn't exactly like I should have planned it. I should have been better, but I was 18. You know, you know everything when you're 18. So I trucked along with it, had a child, couldn't really go anywhere. To be honest with you, the first couple of years with Domino's was very rough. It wasn't something I was overly proud of, but I liked it. It turns out that when you get through and muddle through the non-training piece where you can actually physically handle the job, then you're going to love it. And uh, that's kind of what happened with me, just continuously learning and trial by error and trying to muddle through. And that's what I did, having three kids. And that was all 25 years ago. So it seems like a complete different life for me because my kids are now grown. They work in the business. One of them's married. And here I am. So I actually invested in my first store in 2005. And I was still working for the other company because I had children to take care of, obviously. When you're doing a turnaround store, it's not going to make any profit for you when you become an owner. I love how people are like, oh, I'm going to go own a store. That's great. It may not be making profit for the first year. So just know that for, you know, people just know that if you're doing a turnaround store. So I did that and just continued to invest in stores. I had three that I'd purchased by 2006 with my business partner, who I ended up marrying in 2008. Uh, turns out we were better than just business partners. We were also best friends and, you know, he's my soulmate. So in marrying Jim and he's a great mentor. He's been the rock through the whole, everything, the ups and downs, the fact that we bought another market that really struggled during the turndown in 2008 and nine. I think that's some of the strongest people out there, the ones that had to go through the tough times. People think success just means you're always just good at what you do. And it turns out you've got to have failure if you're going to make success happen. So I've seen my share of that and made it through. I didn't give up. That was the big thing. I just don't quit. I wasn't raised to quit. So that's a little bit of my story. How many stores do you have today, Cassie? 23 with number 24 being built. And where are they all located? We span the I-20 corridor, basically, from Pecos, Texas, which is the next major town at the other side of El Paso, about three hours the other side of El Paso, all the way through Abilene, which is middle of Texas. It's halfway between Fort Worth and Midland. So we span a couple of hours, both directions, north and south. We also go south to Fort Stockton, north all the way to Seminole, which is just south of Lubbock. So pretty much anything south of Lubbock, west of Abilene and West, and then east of El Paso pretty much belongs to us. You were talking about the downturn in 2008 and 2009 and how you got through that through your strength of operations. I think a lot of our listeners have probably been with the brand since after the pizza turnaround. So when you talk about the tough times at Domino's Pizza, I think that's probably foreign to a lot of our listeners. I think the only thing that they know is that you turn on the open sign and the internet starts rattling and the phones start rattling and it's nonstop business. What would you say to folks that haven't lived through the tough times that you and I and Drew have all lived through? And what could they do to prepare themselves for if those times come around again? Well, the biggest thing that any of them can do to prepare themselves, and if we're talking about store level people, because obviously it'd be different for franchisees and store level people on their preparation. But if you're a store level person, say if I'm a general manager, the way I want to prepare is to make sure I have everyone trained that every single customer matters. That's probably the biggest message I have for anybody is every single customer matters. And I just 
want to melt and die. If I ever hear anyone say, even in a grocery store with another business, you know, that person can go eat at, you know, Pizza Hut or whatever. That's fine. Cause I have plenty of customers. Don't ever think you have plenty of customers because at any time those customers may not order from you. So you have to have to have to take each one of them seriously. Like you need every single one of them because then a downturn, they're going to remember you. They're going to remember that you took care of them. They're going to remember that you were there for them in the, in the easy times. And they're going to come to you in the hard times. And I've seen a lot of that even in COVID as well. So kind of seen a little repeat of what was going on back then. And that was something that held us in this market that we owned back then, because we had done that for years. We'd taken care of our customers. So when the downturn, we didn't have any issues here. We still stayed relatively high. Our sales dropped a little bit, but we were able to you know, weather the storm very easily. Matter of fact, we were able to pay people's pay from where we weren't doing well. And that was in Tucson. When we took over Tucson. The customer base didn't love us. It hadn't been worked like that. And we had just taken over as owners. So we didn't have the time. It takes years, years to gain trust of your community. And it takes every customer one at a time, every single driver, every single management person, CSR, taking care of your people year after year after year to when you hit those tough spots, they're going to be there for you. And we didn't have that in Tucson. So while we were suffering there, what we had done here worked for us and held us up, propped us up basically until we were able to recover over in the Tucson market. So literally the biggest thing I can say for anybody, whether you're a franchisee or a store owner, every single customer, every single catered sale, every single anything matters. And you need to take it that way and never just blow off anybody, a customer. Just you can't. Speaking of taking care of customers, I understand that uh, your stores are hit pretty hard by the ice storm that tore through Texas recently. What impressed you the most about the way your team actually handled the situation? So I have an amazing team just assembled actually the last few years because I've been through things like this without such an amazing team or not enough team. It was very difficult because I was snowed in somewhere else. And so they literally had to do it without me. And I think that was God's way of saying, Cassie, you have to let them do it. Because it's not easy for a lot of franchisees that are hands-on, that are operators, for you to step back and let your people handle an emergency situation, especially one with the caliber that we had a few weeks ago. And the team stepped up. They worked as a team together. The group me being able to communicate was one of the biggest things that we lived on. The great thing was, is I was able to see what was going on, know what was going on, have the updates without having to bother my director of operations that was having to deal with it without me. And he had never been through that here. The good thing was, is he had experience on that. So he pulled everyone together. I, we had middle of the night, people showing up to unload a truck that was an emergency truck delivered to us. And in 10 degree weather, they distributed them all across the Permian Basin to make sure that our customers had food. That was the other thing. This, the customers so much appreciated us being there for them that we weren't one of the companies that decided, oh, you know, we're just going to call it safe and everyone's going to stay at home when we know that it was safe enough to do certain things. So my supervisory team was out there checking the roads. We had my maintenance team checking the roads, my security team checking the roads. Everybody was making sure that things were the way they needed to be and safe enough for our people to either be on the road or come to work. The great thing was, is the only reason I ever had to close the store during any of this was due to lack of water, lack of electricity, or lack of food. It was not lack of people or customers. And that's what I was proud of because I couldn't control the water or the electric. 
or the food distribution, but I can control my people showing up for work and I can control my customers loving us enough to keep ordering from us. And those two things my team accomplished did very, very well. And I'm pleased to say that we did everything we could to maintain and stay above water and all that. That's amazing. You know, for our listeners, I'm sure that you can hear the passion in Cassie's voice. We're doing this interview via Zoom. I want to tell you, watching her tell these stories, you hear it all the time about pizza sauce in franchisees' veins. This gal's got it in spades. I'm telling you what, I'm sitting here with chills watching her tell about how great her team is. And I know you can hear it through the podcast. I just wish you could see it also because it's just amazing, Cassie. I'm just, I'm. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Oh my gosh. It's just fantastic. I'm just excited all the time when I talk about Domino's. So I was like, yeah, I'll talk about Domino's. Are you kidding? This is my life. This is my kid's life. It's my family. It's everything. My friends just, yeah, very, very, very passionate about pretty much anything I do, but especially my Domino's. My business and my customers and this business really means the world to me. And I'm extremely passionate about making that clear to people that this really can change people's lives. And we can change other people's lives by being their pizza heroes. And that's a wonderful feeling. It's always been a wonderful feeling. That's just cool. Cassie, looking back on this fabulous hundred year storm that I'm sure you totally were ready and planned for, because who doesn't plan for a giant two week ice storm in Texas? But looking back, what would you do differently? What would I do differently? I would probably have generators installed. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) That would be my first thought. As far as operationally goes, because that would be a franchisee thing, obviously. If if I can, um, just riff on on the generator thing if you want. That's fine. I know generators save. And if I had had a generator on some of the stores, we could have continued to operate. It's not that the natural gas wasn't flowing. It was just the electrical. So if we had had a natural gas generator, we could have kept more stores open. It's always luck of the draw, which store goes down. So obviously putting in 24 generators would be a hefty cost, but it's not above me to put that in my budget moving forward because it's just going to uh, raise the value. I mean, I can't even imagine the sales we've been able to do, but, but second to the generator would have been I needed food. And that was an issue getting in the supply chains, obviously for everyone, the grocery stores for everyone. It was hard to get down the I-20 to us because we are out in a very remote area. And it's not like we're all just got a whole bunch of snow plows sitting around out here to clear those roads, you know? So I'm telling you, it is everyone stays at home because we know the roads can't get plowed, right? You know, it's just not a thing for this to happen. And so really, if I had The one thing that I wish I had done operationally different was I wish knowing this was coming, we had upped our food orders and I didn't think about it because I wasn't here. It didn't occur to me to talk to him about that. And it didn't occur to him either. And it's not something we've ever had to do before. We've never, ever had to go, okay, we could be down for a week. Let's order more food. Now that could have caused us more problems because with the power down, we were having to move food around, although it was still like 10 degrees we are still having to be careful with temperatures of product and whatnot in those walk-ins. You know, we do have a portable walk-in with a generator so that we were able to move around and utilize. So yeah, that's what I would have done differently. If I was, if I was to plan for anything in the future, I will put in generators in my stores and I will make sure the next time a big storm is coming, hedge your bet, order the extra food. Even if you have food that's going to expire, you can make it and donate it to somebody. You know, it's just, you never waste food. I always tell people, we throw something away, we're dumb. 
we're really dumb because either one, we didn't order right or two, we didn't get it to somebody's mouth. So there's hungry people out there. If we accidentally order too much food, it's going to expire. Let's feed somebody before it goes in the garbage can. Lots of homeless shelters, you know? So that's, that's the one thing I wish we'd done different is just order the more food just to hedge our bet. And we didn't do that. So there you go. Again, with the passion in your voice, I think a lot of people here when... You know, I wish I would have done this or that to keep the stores open. I think what a lot of team members start to think about is there's another money hungry franchisee that just wants to keep the stores open and keep their their team members in harm's way. But the way you ended that statement with we'll make food and give it to homeless shelters, it makes me just know without you even saying it, that you're committed to your community first and that staying open the stores was less about driving top line sales and bottom line profits and more about being there for folks that didn't have a place to eat. Were you going to make some money on it? Of course you were. That's why you're in business. But it sounds to me like that wasn't the driving force of what made you want to stay open. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Sam. The driving force to stay open was the fact that we knew the grocery stores were going to be depleted and their supply chains no can't get in here any easier than ours can. So that that was the thought was let's just make sure the community's taken care of and my people understand that because one of the mistakes that we make is we want to look at somebody in the middle of an ice storm and go, "But don't you want to be a pizza hero? Don't you want to help people?" You don't wait till an ice storm to find out if you have team members that'll do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You make sure you have team members that understand that when this stuff comes, we are going to be there for our community. We are going to be the heroes. We are going to be the non-wussies. We're going to buck up. We're going to get to our stores and we're going to take care of people. That's what we do. And that's a culture that takes time to get into your store. So you can start slowly and work your way into getting that mindset. But that's the same mindset that you need if you want someone to answer the phone and take an order at five minutes after closing is they have to know that they're pizza heroes. They're feeding somebody and they're literally being a hero. That person calling five minutes after knows you're closed. They're hoping you're going to take their order. That's the way that works. The Internet kind of helps us with that now. So we can't refuse it. But still, we should be happy that there's an order coming in. Okay, came in, whatever. Make it. Let's get it out to the customer. They're counting on you. Who knows how long they may have worked an 18 hour day and there's no other place open to eat. <laughs> you know, you can deny them their food. And so when you talk about them like this and how many times I've gone to restaurants and I've pulled up and they were closing and they denied me food and I didn't have anywhere else to go. And I just, you know, whatever, ended up not eating or convenience store food. When you start thinking of it, that that might be me on the other side, then it's easier to get people to start learning how to be a hero. So that's. That's my thing is I want my guys to go to work and feel like they're doing something good every day, not just making pizzas. Sure. Is it making pizzas? Sure. We make pizzas, make sandwiches, whatever. We want to make people feel good and we should feel good by doing it. And that's why my guys show up for work every day is because it's not just the grind. All right. So Cassie, along those lines, you mentioned in the beginning of the interview about becoming a franchisee early and, and how it was rough. So if we put you in a room full of GMs and supervisors who are thinking of being franchisees, what would you tell an aspiring GM or supervisor who wants to be a franchisee? I would tell them that they need to find the best business owner or businessman or woman that they know and literally figure out a way to mirror them. Because if I didn't have that opportunity with Jim, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. I may, I don't know. But I do know that he made 
my path a lot easier because he showed me so much about business. I can tell you right now, originally I was going to franchise in 2002 and I had gone and looked at the Tallahassee, Florida market. And I am so thankful that that deal didn't go through because there's no way I would have made it as a franchisee, at least not like now. My recommendation, which most people don't want to hear this, so I'm just going to tell you, uh, my recommendation for most people who want to become a franchisee is be the operating partner first. Find a franchisee where they will buy a store. You're the operating partner. They're the, still the majority. They're still the franchisee. They still have to answer to corporate. They still, you know, deal with all the emails and all that stuff. But you get to know if you can do a turnaround on a store with the guidance of a smart franchisee that's over it. That is exactly how Jim did with me. And I am so thankful every day that he did that, that he did different components. We bought a store. I turned it around. He said, okay, you did that. So now we're going to build one. Let's see if you can build a store and do it on time and in budget. So then we did that. And then we bought another store and I got it turned around making profit. So it's one at a time showing that I can do those important components of an owner. And while learning about the other things that owners have to do, people have no clue what franchisees have to deal with. There's so much time consuming phone calls and meetings and different stuff that just eat your time up when you just want to be an operator. Why? Because we all come from operations, right? We love operating. We want to go and we want to just make pizzas and make people happy and hire people. That's not what franchisees should be doing. They should have a team trained and educated on how to do that. Unless you're a single store guy, then you're in the store. It's a different story. But if you're buying more than one or you plan on expanding, you've got to think about that. I know a lot of guys that started off as one single store franchisee and they didn't realize the caliber of what they were getting into when they expanded two and three. Because once you get to two and three, you have to start considering a supervisor. You can't do it by yourself anymore. And you can try. I can tell you there's people like, oh, I can do it. You can try. You will do exactly what I did and you will try to take on more than you can handle. You will never get any sleep. You'll be grouchy as hell and you ain't going to make it. So you'd have to back up and know that you have to get your first train store. If you are going to start with one, start with one, get them trained. But then when you start with two, you're going to start splitting your time. Once you get to three, you guys consider the supervisor. Can you train a supervisor? That's a good question you should ask yourself as a potential franchisee, because that was something I've trained managers all day long. I can train a manager. No problem. Got it. But when I got to a point where I was a supervisor and I went to a director of operations and then I needed a supervisor, I put in a person that was nothing more than a doer. And I didn't even realize it for, for so long. Like it took a year and a half or two years to realize this person's not thinking for themselves. They're not going out and finding and identifying the problems. I'm still identifying the problems. They're going and fixing it when I tell them to. And reluctantly, by the way, they need to be able to identify the problems and I and then come up with a plan on how to fix that said problem. If you have a bunch of doers, you will still be doing more of the work than you need to. You need someone who can think for themselves, identify the problems themselves and come up with a game plan and work with you on how to make that happen, especially if there's a budget involved. There are some of the things I would tell brand new franchisees because I see a lot of them coming out right now. I see a lot of them buying one stores. When you do that, you need to take into consideration what's going to happen if you expand. Let me just kind of put your answer in a nutshell and make sure I got it correct. There, there were three things I took away from it. One, you've got to understand that there's a difference between running a store and running a business. Boom. Number two, if you can hook up with an operating partner, or if you can hook up with a franchisee and become an operating partner, that's going to give you a built-in mentor. And number three, if you can marry them, then you're gold. You know what? I'll tell you what. There are too many people out there that think I'm married Jim. 
and didn't have Domino's experience. It was so funny. I, I met a franchisee once that was really cold to me. And I was like, that's really weird, right? I mean, being a female franchisee, there's not a whole lot of stuff out there. I think there's like 75 female franchisees out there. So it's kind of like, and I was really cold. I was like, maybe he's just, you know, odd being around a female franchisee, whatever. Now, later he admitted to me that he thought I literally had my position because I married Jim. He didn't know anything about me before I married Jim. So I'm like, oh my God, seriously, I was doing this before I knew Jim, <laughs> you know? So it's just kind of funny. It's, it's like, just know you always live in the shadow if you marry another franchisee. So I'm just going to say that. But, you know, having said that, you know, people can think what they want to think. It's getting with the mentor and because that's what I did. And he sold me the stores just like he said he would when I showed him I could turn him around and be a good franchise owner. I knew how to handle the business. Then he was he sold them to me and he sold them to me in parts pieces at a, at a time as we went through. So, you know, um, yes, I am the wife that has paid her husband for stores and I refuse to take them as a gift. <laughs> I worked hard for this title, dang it. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's the way that I would recommend anybody do it. Because if you find a good one, and I think that's going on in some areas right now where they have a really good franchisee that has identified them as potential franchisees, mentored them, got them to be business owners, and then sold them that store. And then again, I say to those guys, now you're a franchisee of one store, you really need to think of your game plan when you expand. And that's the one thing that scares me because I've had a lot of franchisees reach out to me when they're in that expansion, wanting to know what they do. And it's always when they hit that three store mark. You had said you knew how to train managers and you knew how to train folks in the store, CSRs, drivers, but you, you were challenged with training supervisors. I know that Drew spent some time with your team how did that go? And did you feel like there was a return on that investment? Oh, extremely. Yes. You know, it's been it's been a while since I had had any type of uh, above store level classes. And I was going to teach it myself. But the reality is, is when your guys hear you all the time, they need to hear it from somebody else. And who better to hear it from than two of the guys who did it for life? Okay. So, I mean, seriously, I went to y'all's classes back in the day. That's how we met. And so... Albuquerque in 08, I think. Yes. Thank you. It's exact. Well, uh, yeah. No, that's exactly what it was. And I had supervisors that I was trying to train in Tucson. And that is when I realized that I had a doer. When you're around one person and I had Midland Odessa, I had nine stores. That's not a lot. I had... My, but I moved up to director of operations and needed a supervisor because we did take on that ninth store. And six is about right for a supervisor, depending on distance and whatnot. And then I realized I didn't realize she was a doer until I went to Tucson and I had those guys there and I was working with them. And I realized that she wasn't getting the job done. Why? Because I wasn't here to tell her what to do. <laughs> she wasn't identifying anything. And I was out there, so I couldn't identify anything either. So things got off the rails here because of that. And that's why I realized that I was not trained in training a supervisor. And there's no book on it. There's no there's no manual. There never has been. Just the high performance supervisor class that I was familiar with, that was it. It's a challenge to try to train a supervisor. But the biggest thing is identifying the person you're going to promote as a thinker and analytical identifier before you promote them. Because if they can't do that, you will be doing half their job the whole time you have them. It's hard to argue with that. What I don't hear you saying is that when you've got a doer, you had to micromanage them. What I do hear you saying is that you had to think for them. And if we have to think for the people that mm -hmm. we're putting in those positions, then we probably shouldn't have put them in those positions. You've got enough on your plate running the business. So you don't need to be doing the supervisor job as well. Hence why you were promoting a supervisor. 
<laughs> and that's why, you know, and I didn't never realize that that's why I always felt like I was doing so much. Jim had identified me as one of those. I, I'm always identifying, oh, this needs to be, this needs to be changed. He identified me as that. So he didn't have to worry about that. And the one thing that that was the one thing he probably wasn't really skilled in was necessarily training a supervisor because he had never done that either. But he did know the qualities to look for in a person. And that was what he taught me was, you now you've learned what a doer is, a supervisor that does, you need a supervisor who thinks. Hence why we now have that. So, yes, and they're very good. And it's very nice <laughs> to see that. You know what, Cassie, I think on very nice, that is a fabulous way to end it because believe it or not, our time has come to an end. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thanks a million for the time. We, we really, really appreciate it. And now let's talk about a question. Woody, I have a question. Um, well, actually not just one. I have all of them. I have all the questions. Well, Drew, I've got, I've got sad news. And that is, uh, we didn't have any questions from listeners this week. That hurts my heart. Yeah, it hurts me a bit too, because, you know, as I'm out and about and I'm talking to folks, I know people are listening to the podcast and just the sheer numbers that we're seeing on the downloads. And again, thank you so much if you're listening and sharing it with your friends. That's fantastic. I think we should absolutely at this moment say top 100 management podcast on Apple. Yeah, I can't thank the listeners enough for that. I got an email from Apple that said we we're in the top 100 business podcast, which I had to read three times just to make sure I wasn't reading it incorrectly because I was just stunned. It was uh, actually spam mail from a Nigerian prince looking for more money to move us up the rank. But no, no, it was for real. <laughs> so, you know, I thought about we're, we're getting listeners. And people are actually coming up to me in workshops and saying, hey, I listened to the podcast. I got something out of it. And I thought, well, why aren't we getting any questions? And this is what came to mind. I think, Drew, we're like that radio station that had call-in requests or call-in and win tickets to something. And I don't know about you, but every time I called, I got a busy signal and I got frustrated and I just kept, I just stopped calling. So... What I'm going to tell you what's great about today's technology and email is they all come through and we are going to read them all and we will choose great ones for this episode. So if you've been hesitant at all to reach out to us, send me an email at sam at fouserconsulting.net or drew at trainwithbty.com, a new shorter email just for you. Nice. And send us your questions, man. We'd love to answer them. I am a huge proponent of the only bad question is the one that goes unasked. Ask us anything you'd like, and we will probably put it on an upcoming episode. So, you know, don't be shy. And if you're a little nervous about sending that email in, don't worry. Sam and I won't mention you by name if it's a sensitive topic or if it's something that will identify the guilty parties in your question. We've already edited and adjusted a couple questions just for that purpose. Yeah, or even put right in the email, please don't mention me by name or put in the email, please do mention me by name in case you want to hear your name. A shout out. Yeah, in case you want a shout out on a top 100 business podcast, uh, we'd love to do that. Uh, but seriously, send us some questions, man. We would love to answer them. This podcast is for you. It's not for us. We want to make sure that you're getting something out of this podcast and that we continue to drive value for you to help you sell more pizza. Have more fun. Drew, I think it's time to land this plane. Should we wrap this sucker up? Yeah, let's do that. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. And I 
What's on your radar, Sam? So coming up on my radar, I am heading back to Illinois. We're going to finish with the expectations for Lance and getting his team rolling towards being the best store in the region. And then the other thing that I'm I'm looking forward to is I'm doing some more workshops with clients centered all around the selection process, doing better interviews, actually selecting people and not simply qualifying them and hopefully helping them build better teams that they could set clear expectations and start holding people able so that they can be accountable to results. Well, that was that was nice tying all that together. That was that was nice. What's on your radar? What's up for me, Sam? Coming up is I'm heading off to Boston to help Chris Cordemanch and Team Duffacy with their supervisors. Nice. So while you're in Boston, are you going to park your car in Harvard Yard and get some chowder? Oh, I'm totally going to get some chowder, but I'm not going to Harvard Yard. I am going to Mike's Bakery and picking up a giant honking eclair. But that's a different story for a different day. Nice. What else you got on your radar? I'm also heading back out to Ohio to help Anthony Satterwhite and his supervisors. We did the class there with them. And now I'm going back to do some individual coaching and development plans for each of his guys. I don't know about you, but Anthony is he's on fire. He's He's gone from four stores to, I don't know, 162 or something like that. But he continues to develop his above store leadership team so that his in-store teams have the support they need so he can continue the growth and do it in a way that's going to deliver customer experiences in that Cleveland area that, quite frankly, they haven't been used to up to now. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing the success that he creates. Yeah, it's just that he's got his vision in mind and he's willing to make it maybe a little harder today to not sacrifice what that vision will be later, which is... Super. Yeah, it's pretty cool that we both get to be a part of that. I uh, enjoy all my trips out there to see Team Mile High in action and see the improvement on each one. All right, man. Episode six coming to an end. It's been fantastic as always, Drew. I appreciate it, Sam. It's always nice talking to you. Coming up on episode seven. I know in episode five, we, we teased an interview with Don May. Just to let the listeners know, we did have some just incredible incredible time with Don. We've got that in the can. We are going through the editing process and we're going to drop actually the first half of that interview in episode seven. Don was so generous with his time. We got enough that we think we're going to split it up into two separate episodes. Just really, really exciting stuff. I think Drew and I were both walking on clouds after that interview for about an hour, which was like the second time in three days we'd been walking on clouds after a great interview. The interview that you just heard with Cassie. Oh my gosh, Cassie, Thanks again. That was fantastic. And and that's why Cassie bumped up Don because, oh my gosh, that energy was so great. How could we let that sit for a couple of weeks? So Cassie bumped Don, which allow that to go to Cassie's head for just a minute. Well, again, you've been listening to Drew and Sam Talk Training Episode 6. I'm Sam with Fowler Consulting. And I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. Go out there, take action on what you've heard on these podcasts. And of course, as always, sell more pizza and have more fun. 